want particularly to consider those words of Jesus in verse 12, although we'll look at most of the rest of the chapter as well. Jesus' words, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <coughs> now, just to set the scene a little, if you remember, and you can go back to August last year, I set the scene because I preached, you'll well remember this, I preached in John chapter 7. So I want to take it on today into the following chapter in John chapter 8. So in John chapter 7, remember that Jesus in the temple had said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And here was a day following in chapter 8. The next day, he's in the temple again, and he's teaching again in the treasury, or what was known also as the court of the women. This was a time of the Feast of Tabernacles, instituted for Israel way back <clears throat> recorded in Leviticus chapter 23. For seven days in the seventh month of the year, when the harvest had been gathered in, the people were to leave their houses and live in tents or tabernacles, made of branches and made of leaves and so on. As it says in Leviticus 23, so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths or tents when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, there were two memorable uh, ceremonies associated with this Feast of Tabernacles, which were particularly expressive of God's presence and of God's provision for them. The first was back in chapter 7, when each morning the priests of the temple would go down to the Pool of Siloam they would fill pitchers with water and carry it back through the water gate into the city and pour it out on the altar of sacrifice in the temple. <clears throat> All the time, the people singing the song of that little psalm that we find in Isaiah chapter 12, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and so on. It was to recall God's miraculous provision from the smitten rock in Moses' days, and it anticipated that spiritual outpouring that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament in the likes of Isaiah 12, Ezekiel 47, Zechariah 14, and in Joel chapter 2 or 3, something that would happen when the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, would come into the world. And then, of course, in the last day of that Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood up there and he proclaimed, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In other words, he was saying, all that you're celebrating, all that you're longing for, all that you're hoping for and praying for is today fulfilled in me. So come to me and have all your desires and your longings satisfied. That was the first ceremony. Now, there was this other ceremony uh, during that time, it was an evening ceremony. It was called the Illumination of the Temple. And it involved the ritual lighting of four golden oil-filled lamps in the court of the women. These lamps were huge. They were called menorah or candelabra. 
They were 50 cubits high. In our language, that's 75 feet. Imagine that, 75 feet high. There were four of them, and they were lit up in the temple precincts when darkness fell. On the one hand, it served to remind the people of the pillar of fire that had guided Israel through the wilderness. It was a symbol of God's presence with them. All night long in, in the temple precincts, their light would shine with a brilliance that illuminated the entire city of Jerusalem. Some regarded it as a symbol of God's Shekinah glory that had once filled the tabernacle and then the temple, the old temple that had been destroyed. So it was in celebration that the holiest of Israel's men danced and sang psalms of praise and joy before the Lord. Before the Lord. On the other hand, it served to remind the people that God had promised to send a light I promised to send, indeed, the light to a sin-darkened world. Way back in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, Isaiah 9, uh, we read at the beginning of that chapter, there will be gloom for her that was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And it's interesting, it was Galilee where Jesus was brought up and mainly taught. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. So this celebration would remind the people of that promise that was made long ago of the light that would come to a sin-darkened world. Similar idea we find in Malachi, the prophet Malachi in chapter 4 and verse 2. Behold, the day comes when the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, it was in expectation and anticipation of the Messiah who would come, the Christ who would come to renew Israel's glory and to release them uh, from their bondage and to restore their joy. That's the expectation. That was the anticipation of the people. Now, if you can imagine yourself there in ancient Jerusalem amidst all the festivity, the ceremony, the ritual, the Psalms and the prayers, invoking God uh, to make good his promise. And then you see these gigantic candelabra casting their tremendous light over the dark city, recalling God's past goodness and anticipating God's future blessing. And then in the midst of all of that, Jesus stands, and he proclaims from the temple courtyard. He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As if to say, as if Jesus was saying to them, 
You see this impressive display of the, the temple illumination lighting up, dispelling the darkness of the city, anticipating the coming, uh, the light, the son of righteousness, anticipating the coming Messiah. Well, I am that promised light. I am that God who went before your forefathers in the wilderness. I am that son of righteousness proclaimed by Malachi. And I am now come with healing in my wings. And it's interesting, actually, that after this uh, incident, this event in the temple, uh, Jesus went from there to heal a man who was born blind and to give him sight to dispel his darkness, physical, and bring him light, and also to dispel his spiritual darkness and bring him the light of the good news of Messiah. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Now, let's think of, of, of light and what light does. Light illuminates. The assumption you see is that there is a darkness into which the light shines. John chapter 1 and verse 5, concerning the Word who became flesh, the eternal Son of God, Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. <clears throat> this darkness, says Jesus here in John 8 and 12, is something in which men walk. That it, it, is, it defines their living, it defines their life, its characteristic of this world in which we live, of this world in its fallenness. It's in darkness. And this darkness pervades the very being of man. It's a darkness which affects the mind, our thinking, our reasoning. It affects our heart. It affects our wills, the direction that we take in life, the commitments that we make in life. And it's a darkness which will, unless God intervenes in His grace, a darkness that will ultimately damn the soul. In verse 24 of chapter 8, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. In other words, that I am that Messiah. <clears throat> that I am that light of the world. It's the darkness of sin. And the ultimate state of the unsaved, of course, is described as one of outer darkness. Jesus says that. Final, judicial, irreversible darkness. Now, this darkness of sin that pervades every man by nature, is characterized by three things. Just very briefly, three things. It's characterized by rebelliousness. We see that in John chapter 8, verse 39 onwards, where those who listen to him, particularly the religious leaders, reject God's word, they reject God's way, they reject God's will. Verse 39, they answered him, Abram is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abram's children, you would do what Abram did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, 
which you heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You do what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's will. He said, you're not the children of Abraham. Abraham accepted and embraced God's word. Abraham accepted and embraced God's way. He embraced God's will for him. These who heard Jesus were rejecting God's word. You don't listen to the truth, he says. You don't want the truth. You reject God's way. You're rejecting God's will. It's the sin of the Garden of Eden reenacted in every human soul. You're listening, says Jesus, to the devil's word. You're following his way. You're doing his will. A darkness of sin that we're all afflicted with from our very conception is a rebelliousness of heart and mind and will. And the second place is the darkness of ignorance. In verse 19 of this chapter, they said to him, where is your father? Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. A darkness of ignorance. Not only is man's will turned against God in rebellion, but as a consequence of that, his mind is darkened in ignorance. His perception of right and wrong, his perception of the good and the evil, is all twisted up, is darkened. And mankind becomes ignorant of God and of what the truth is and ignorant of himself even. In verse 31, John, Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, those who had accepted him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Isn't there an appalling ignorance of God's Word today, of the truth as revealed to us in God's Word? There's an appalling ignorance of that in the world today, in our own society, all around us. The Word of God is neglected, not even considered of any importance. And dare we say, there's sometimes an appalling ignorance of God's Word even within in the confines of the Christian church. Not studied enough, it's not read enough, it's not known well enough in order to follow Christ and to follow in His way, to know the truth, the truth that can set us free. So this darkness <clears throat> characterized by rebelliousness, 
rebelliousness of the will, ignorance of the mind, and thirdly, perversion of the heart. Not only is man's will in rebellion against God, not only is the mind darkened in ignorance, but the heart is gripped in the darkness of perversion. There's a natural progress, you see. There's a natural progress in sin's darkness. The Apostle Paul sets it out for us very starkly and very clearly in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 1, if you want to look it up and read a fairly section of it, in Romans chapter 1 and from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and improper conduct they were filled with all manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. That's devastating, isn't it? That's a devastating indictment of God on humankind, on the natural sinful man. It's devastating. That's the world that we live in. That's the society in which we live. This is the awful darkness of fallen human nature in which all of us are conceived. Our, our, our wills by nature are cast in rebelliousness. Our, our minds, ignorant of God's truth, our hearts conditioned to the pursuit of sin. The old theologians of the Reformation called total depravity. 
Not meaning, of course, that we're as bad as we can possibly be. No, God's grace still shines forth in this world, but it means rather that every aspect of our being has been, has been tainted with sin. Our minds, our hearts, our wills. Not to the extent, total extent, but it means that every part of us, our totality, has been touched in the, with the darkness of sin. And it's only by the light of God's grace that that darkness and the power of that darkness is being held in check today. And it's only by His grace and by His mercy that it is curtailed. And please God, that it may by His grace be banished. We were singing that hymn, Light of the World. You stepped down into darkness, opened our eyes, and let us see. And such grace, such grace Jesus alone offers. He alone can impart such grace. I am the light of the world. And he who follows me, that is, he who believes in me, trusts in me, comes to me, embraces my saviorhood, submits to my lordship, such a one will not walk in darkness. Such a one will not live in darkness. Such a one cannot continue in darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse 30 of that chapter tells us that as he spoke, many believed in him. Yes, there were those who heard. There were those who trusted, there were those who believed. And the alternative is to continue in sin, without Christ, without light, without life, and in darkness forever. That's the alternative. We can see even in this chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, we, we can see uh, a progression, as, as it were, in the sin of the, of the people sorry, chapter 8 of, of John. We can see a, a progression of it uh, from verse 21, I think, onwards. Verse 21, <clears throat> I go away and you will seek me and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. As you said, will he kill himself? And he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you, you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Sin, death, and the darkness of hell. There's that inevitable progression downwards. Salvation, life, and the glory of heaven. There's that inevitable progression upwards for those who will follow Christ, who will trust him, who will recognize him as God's Christ, God's Messiah, and will embrace him and his love. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, will not die in darkness, will not exist agonizingly forever in awful darkness, but will have love and the light of life. So are we listening to Jesus today? 
Are we heeding his voice? When we read the scriptures, when we hear the preaching of his word, when we study the word, <clears throat> are we heeding that voice as Jesus speaks to us there? And are we following him? Are we putting our trust and our faith in the Savior? I just want to finish quoting the scriptures. In chapter 12 of John's Gospel, Yes, here was put in the pulpit this morning. I, I thought it was to control the heat, but I see it's to control the preacher and how long he preaches. Oh, we're, we're okay yet, I think. Just finish with these words from John chapter 12, verse 20. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks or Gentiles. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing by heard it and said it, it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The crowd answered, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness knows not where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become children of light. And the light is with us. Christ, through his word and by his spirit, he's with us. And that light and that truth shines forth from his word. And Jesus says, walk in that light. That is, live by it. Let your life be controlled by the truth of God's word and the glory of the gospel. Lest the darkness overtake you, because the darkness is always around. And the prince of darkness is always around. While you have the light, believe in the light. You've done that. Trusted in the light, Jesus. You trusted him, embraced him as your savior and your Lord. Have you become indeed the children of God, the children 
of light. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for so great salvation that has come to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the light of the world, that he has come to dispel the darkness, that his light has shone into this world and the darkness has not overcome it. We pray, O God, that your Spirit will so speak into our hearts and our minds and our lives, that we might walk in the light, that we might embrace Christ as our very own, that our whole lives might be ordered by him, and that we might uh, eventually live in that eternal light of glory in heaven. These things we ask in his name and for his kingdom's sake. Amen.